Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, and I'm so excited for this week's guest. Uh, Before I bring him on, though, I want to thank you guys for all of the compliments and comments about last week's episode featuring our own killing bird, Derek Tenbush. Um, Yeah, Derek and I felt like that was a fun episode to record, and we both felt like we were thinking... Uh, pretty clearly about the hands that we discussed, and so we're glad that you guys enjoyed listening as well. Uh, also, please rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher or Podbean or wherever else you find your podcast. We appreciate you guys uh, showing the love on on there as well, because doing so helps us climb the charts of poker podcasts around the world. So... Without further ado, I want to bring you my exclusive interview with uh, one of the most recognizable voices in all of poker, as well as other sports. Uh, My dear friend Tuck, David Tuckman, took some time out of his ridiculously busy schedule and made his first ever appearance here on the TPE podcast. A quick note about something that he says right at the end of our interview where he starts talking about backing up the truck and placing a football bet. This would have been on the game that already happened last week between the New England Patriots and the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know many of you probably know the outcome of that game, so I want you to have the opportunity to hear Tuck's pick of that game before it happened, and enjoy along with me our exclusive interview with the one and only David Tuckman. I am so excited to bring on our guest. Now, when I first took over hosting duties here at the TPE podcast, uh, I promised you guys special guests, and uh, this week we have an extra special guest. You guys, you know, really, he needs no introduction. He is the voice of of the World Series of Poker for many, many years. He also does stuff with 888 Poker, Crush Live Poker, uh, Under the Gun Podcast, and some place in California called Stone's Gambling Hall. Recently returned home from a trip to faraway places. I believe it was Tulsa, Oklahoma. I'm going to let him tell you himself. For the first time ever on the TPE show, the one and only David Tuckman. Wow, that's, a, that's quite an introduction. Thank you, Fletch. Was that even close on any accounts? Yeah, no, that was pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you admitted some stuff that only you know about me, but I, I appreciate that. <laughs> I don't know what that could be. So, uh, Tuck, welcome to the show. We appreciate you coming on. I know you're a busy man. Uh, you're a globetrotter. What, how many countries have you been to in the last two days? Just tell us that. In the last two days, yeah. just one country. That's oh, it. Okay, good. good. I, I have not left the United States. I uh, I got back from the UK uh, about a week ago. Mm-hmm. I was there for eight 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 poker, so I was in London at Asper's Casino. But uh, I have not traveled since then. So you have uh, swindled the good people at eight 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 poker into somehow thinking that you are qualified to be flown across the the ocean. To commentate on poker, is that correct? Is my understanding correct? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, they don't fly me; I fly myself. But uh, apparently, yeah, somehow, some way, I've been doing that for a while. Um, <laughs> as as I often point out, uh, I don't know how I continue to work, but I don't question it, and I'm very thankful. Yeah, you got a good thing going. Um, you know, kidding aside, I do believe in my heart of hearts that you're the best at what you do. Uh, I learned so much. I've had the uh, honor of being w- with you in the booth at the World Series of Poker, 
and just watching you work and learning from you and just, you know, all the hours you've put in and obviously a very hardworking guy. You have multiple hustles, though. Is that fair to say? Uh, yeah. I mean, if you wanted to say if, I've never I've never defined it as a hustle, <laughs> but uh, I, I suppose you could. You got so yeah, many I, different uh, 1099s at the end of the year, right? I mean, come on. like I have many, yes. I, I do my best to avoid the traditional put on a suit, nine to five grind, uh, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. It's more like the seven to seven grind. Um, but I, I do my best and I've done my best throughout my life to avoid what basically my dad did for 40 years. Okay, so let's hear about that. Was your dad a, a true nine to five grinder? No, he. I mean, my dad was a. a interestingly enough, I'm quite proud of what he did. He, so he, from nothing, you know, he grew up in Brooklyn, and his father owned a deli, a Jewish deli, and so my dad worked in there for a while, and then he, you know, he went to school and he was putting himself through law school, and he was also a certified CPA at the moment, so he got a side job doing that as well. And he and a friend of his started a business, and the business took off to the point where he actually had to leave law school in the middle so he could focus on his accounting firm. And from all accounts that he's told me, it was really, really exciting in the beginning as he was growing the business in Manhattan, 41st and Lexington for many years. And and then obviously it became more of a drag. He just he, I don't think he actually loved being an accountant. He loved the excitement of growing a business. So he definitely wasn't the you know the grind the nine to five guy because he he owned his own company. Yeah. But it was an accounting firm, so I don't know. Right. It's not like uh, something that you you fantasize about. You know, someday I'm gonna have my yeah. Yeah, I can't firm. imagine. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> nobody nobody is sitting there like you know nobody is going to like Pornhub and going hey uh, accountants. <laughs> Well, there is that one James Bond where he's an accountant. That's a really good one. I, you know I, I t- okay, I'll check that out. Hold on. Let me put it in <laughs> Just give me three minutes, guys. Yeah, l- licensed to subtract. <laughs> um, so, Tuck, I love working with you um, every summer at the World Series. I managed to – I want to use the word swindle correctly here. I managed to swindle my way into the booth. Um, the last few years. Now, at what point during the year, like here we are in December, at what point in the year do people start to ask you, will there be a live stream this year? Are you doing it? Is it have those questions started yet? And if not, can I be the first to ask? You would be the first to ask. Uh, usually right. that starts in around February. Yeah. It's, a, it's a tradition, I, you know. Yeah. After well, the Super it, Bowl, we start the tuck season. In, in all fairness, my wife asked too. She's like, oh, <laughs> are you going to Vegas this year? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Because, you know, I'm not on a, a multi-year contract or anything like that. Uh, I'm not as lucky as Ali Najad, who gets like a multi-year deal with Poker Go. Oh, yeah. I, I am on a, uh, a freelance year-to-year basis type situation. So, you know, every year around, you know, when the schedule comes out, I usually give some people a call and, you know, and we, we start touching base and figure out if there's going to be a live stream and how it's going to look each year. Uh, interestingly enough, 2017 – it got to the point where it was so late in the game that I actually went ahead and bought concert tickets in L.A., <laughs> figuring I wasn't going to be – I mean, I would still go to Vegas, and I'd probably play a little bit, but I figured it wasn't happening because PokerGo had acquired the rights, and I thought they were going in a different direction. And I was like, okay, and I hadn't heard from you know the bosses. I mean, I'd heard from some of the guys who were just like, eh, we don't know, not looking great, and I go, okay. So I went ahead and bought tickets, and of course, the next day, I got the call saying, "Hey, what are you doing this summer?" Um, so uh, yeah, that'll be uh, it, it's always fun. So that uh, was this year, right? Twenty eighteen. No, that was twenty seventeen because oh, it we did was. The, we did the break. That was the first year Poker Go was ahead. We did it, and I knew they were bringing Lon in and Ali in. To do a lot of the, I knew they were bringing Lon and do a lot of the live streams, and they were doing a lot less live streams in 2017. The first year Poker Go was there, so you know, obviously the, the job that I had done for you know many years was was being done by Lon McCarran, who's we're good friends, does a great job, and I was like, okay, I guess you know, it is what it is, uh, and then obviously I got the offer to do the break desk, 
which is a lot right. of fun. Yeah, and we all remember you in your vest, right? You had the look with the bow tie and the vest. It was very memorable. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what look it is, but it was, it was a, a look. <laughs> so, how jealous of Ali Najad are you in general? Uh, I'm not. I'm not generally a jealous person. Uh, but when it comes to Ali, I mean, we can all hear it in your voice every time you mention his name. There's a little tear in your eye. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I just. I actually. Funny enough, I just saw Ali. He was in London. He oh, came he's out, out there for as a guest. Oh. Yeah, he came out as a guest of 888 Poker. Nice. Um, and he, I met his girlfriend, lovely girl, and they're like gallivanting around the world, uh, going to the top 50 restaurants. And he, he's taken a few lists and he's kind of like merged them to make his, I guess, his top 50. And there were a few in London. I know he went to Barcelona to go to tickets. So he's been like doing that. He's got a great deal. He does a great job. The, the thing with Ali, can, I mean, you can be jealous of somebody and at the same time still love them. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, in some ways, yeah, I'm jealous of Ali. You know, I got to work with Nick Schulman for, uh, you know, for a cup of tea, and he was so good. And when Ali got the gig to work with Nick – for Super High Roller Bowl, and then obviously they were so good together, they were like, oh, that's the team. I was like, ah, you know? Yeah, of course, of course. Because you know, I had worked with Nick. I mean, in fact, I mean, I think Nick's – Nick basically popped his cherry, his commentary cherry with me. Yeah, um, I've actually heard Nick tell the story about how he came to you and said, you know, I think I might like to get into doing commentary, and uh, would you help me? Yeah, he was – I mean he was very humble about it. He was such a cool guy and, and I have so much respect for Nick. But yeah, I mean in terms of being jealous, yeah, I mean the fact that Ali gets to work with him and cover the World Series of Poker main event, that's awesome. And how many of the top 50 restaurants in the world have you actually been to yourself? Have I been to uh, – well, yeah. it depends on whose list you're looking at. But based off Ali's list, I've been to like seven. OK. And he's doing all 50. Yeah, that's never yeah. going to happen for me. Yeah, so – I've got kids. A little jealous. Just, You're a little jealous. Just, I'm a, yeah, I'm a little jealous. But like I said, I mean, I'm not I, – I, I, okay, I'm a firm believer in this, okay? Uh-oh, he's about to get philosophical. I know I the am. tone in Tuckman's voice. When you he's know about, me well. Yeah, here it comes. We're all listening. There's a great book called The Art of Happiness, okay? And I'm not usually like, you know, Dalai Lama, all that. I'm not usually one of those guys. But there's a great book called The Art of Happiness that I read. And in it, there were many things in it that spoke to me. But one thing that's particularly – kind of resonated with me was, you know, if you can spend your whole life being jealous of the guy down the street who has the better car or the better looking wife or more money or, and, and I feel like if we always spend, if we always spend our time thinking about what we don't have and the guy that we're jealous of, you know, cause I can look at it and be like, cool, God, I wish I had Ollie's gig. And then Ollie could be looking at it going, man, it was fun working for CNN. Maybe I could do something else. You know, maybe I can get out of poker and be more mainstream. You know, or I could look at Joe Buck and be like, oh, man, I want to do a Super Bowl. At what point do you stop? <laughs> yeah, well, I've worked with uh, famous, like, A-list stand-up comedians, and they are backstage complaining about how they're not getting the parts in the movies that they want. And <laughs> thing that just really never stops. So you're right that, about that. You are. I mean, it that, – that book is right on. And that's kind of what I was getting at in a sense. Like, it's just like, you know, I'm an incredibly lucky guy. I mean, you pointed out somehow I, I have been able to swindle and hustle my way all <laughs> over the world to, to talk about poker and the NFL and NASCAR and play poker, you know, and, and, and I, I have I, I know I know how lucky I am. So that's I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I know how lucky you are too, Tuck. Yeah. And I, I told you many times you're a lucky son of a gun. And I also know how jealous of Ali Najad you are, but I'll let that go for now. Um, <laughs> we're all jealous. He has the life. Um, but at the same time. His girlfriend's too tall for me, though. Oh, well, there you go. There's one thing you wouldn't yeah. say. His there girlfriend's you. way too tall. She's like, honestly, dude, he, Ollie's not a tall dude. Ollie's like, I mean, unless she was wearing high heels that I didn't notice. No. Ollie's like, I don't know, what, 5'8", five, 5'9"? Five, Maybe 5'8", five, yeah. Right. She's like 5'11". Wow. 
Yeah, she's a tall girl. I mean, maybe she's 5'10 without heels. I didn't like, you know, I didn't look down at her at her shoes, but she's a tall girl. Now, see, I feel like every girl I meet, regardless of her height, says I like tall men. Like I, I never hear a girl <laughs> saying I'm attracted to men who are shorter than I am. In fact, I have a friend. My best friend is 5'8", and he complains all the time about how this like whole society is like it's okay for women to be biased against men who are below average height and no one says anything like that's totally fine right right suck it up dude yeah so he's just got to get on with it and figure out some <laughs> other angle and i can point to ali najad as an example to us all you know don't be afraid to approach a woman who's taller than you if you're attracted to her you got to go for it in life as ali najad has done I think hey, he's, he should be the theme of everything we talk about for this every, hour. Every single thing. Hey, you know what's funny, though? <laughs> I will say to you, this is actually really funny, um, as we always go off on tangents. So a college this – is, this is going to sound awful in some ways, but a very prominent uh, a recruiter for a college football team, actually, he said this. And he said that I like – when I recruit a kid, I like to meet – if they have a girlfriend, I want to meet who their girlfriend is. And he actually said, he goes, you know, if, the, if their girlfriend isn't really attractive, I'm a little turned off. And the guy, and, and of course, the interviewer is like, what? And he said, no, no, no. He said, and he tried to backtrack a little bit. And by the way, this is not my thinking. This is somebody else. I'm just, I'm regurgitating what I heard. Right. But he came out and said, he goes, you know, it just speaks volumes on a kid's confidence, you know? And what I'm getting at is basically when you see a short dude with a really tall girl, I think that speaks volumes about that person's confidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. He had the he had the nerve, the audacity to go for it. It's the audacity. That's the word. It's the audacity. <laughs> Dude, you're short. You're not supposed to be with that tall, gorgeous woman, okay? Stay in your lane, pal. But no. <laughs> he said, I don't have a lane. I'm Ali mother effing Nejad. There you go. Hold my Can we beer. not curse on the show? I try not to. Uh, okay. Because I never know who's offended by language and, you know, things like that. Um, I know most of my listeners are 12, so that's just how it is. Uh, <laughs> that's not true. At least I hope it's not true. Um, so, Tuck, you have a podcast. Let's talk about that. I've been uh, – I've swindled my way into being a guest on your podcast, which is called Under the Gun. Everyone should download and listen to that on iTunes. Oh, Tell by the way, know. I'm just I'm I'm just recording this also on my end, oh, and cool. this will be my next podcast. Oh, great! Yeah, we'll just <laughs> <laughs> that'll save you a week's work. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, perfect. They'll never know the difference. So tell I'll them about. I'll change the intro. Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's you know it's 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 uh, under the gun. It's a poker podcast, but it's uh, so not. as is right as is everything that I do. You know, it, we talk about poker. We'll do a little poker strategy, but I'll also cover politics and sex and basically whatever is is on my mind at the moment. Sometimes I'll rant. You know, I take phone calls. We get good guests on there, like like Fletch, um, and and sometimes not so good guests, uh, but. Uh, you know, it's just a chance for me to kind of uh, spout out there for an hour or so. And uh, surprisingly, I, it's one of my favorite things is, you know, sometimes I was just in Tulsa and I'm sitting next to some guy and he's just like, hey, love under the gun, man. I listen to it every week. And I'm like, and my first reaction is always the same when I hear somebody say that. I always go, really? <laughs> you don't think anyone's listening? Because I'm genuinely I'm genuinely surprised. Yeah, no, I mean, I half think that you and I are doing this right now, and I do under the gun, just for ourselves. Like, maybe like 11 people are, watch, are listening to this, you know what I mean? But, it's so much fun to talk into a microphone. Right, it's just, I, I just like, okay, this is cool, let's just, you know, it, it's not much different. I mean, if you and I were in the, a, a place together, we might be in a bar having a glass, having a beer or a glass of wine, and having this almost exact same conversation. But, shockingly, like, I've been to Brazil, I went to Sao Paulo, and same thing, somebody came to me and was like, hey, love your podcast. Can you do this? And I was like, really? Um, and when I, and I, and when I, when I see this cross-section of different people, I always kind of think, I'm like, okay, you must love the poker side of it, but you hate the football, huh? And then some of the guys, I'm like, oh, you hate when I do this, huh? And so, well, you but do, uh, yeah, you, it's a fun show. You do manage to work in um, tales from your personal life. 
uh, whether it's fatherhood or husbandhood or whatever. Uh, you talk about your travels. Uh, you have definitely, definitely spent a lot of time, especially lately, talking about your fantasy football team, which absolutely no one cares about. Uh, <laughs> right. By the way, I'm in six leagues this year. Yeah. Four of those leagues, I'm in the semifinals. That's right, guys. No have, one cares. Hey, semifinals, all. that means there's only four teams left, and I have a chance mm-hmm. to win four of my six leagues still, okay? Totally That's right. deleting this. Can I tell you about who's on my team? No, absolutely not. <laughs> all right, so uh, as interesting as your fantasy football career is to the – Thousands of people who could not care less if they tried. Uh, what about this trip to Tulsa, Oklahoma? What brought that on? I mean, you don't strike me as an Oklahoma guy. What are you saying? I mean, do you even have a cowboy hat, Tuck? I do have a cowboy hat. In fact, <laughs> I, I actually won a, I actually, there was a, um, Wounded Warriors charity at the World Series about 11 years ago and 12 years ago, actually, 2006. And Kenneth James, through this charity event where they were giving away things, you know, you had the silent auction or bid actually for it. And I was feeling like a high roller at the time, so I bid on a couple of items. One of them was a cowboy hat, really nice cowboy hat. And after I spent way too much money on this thing, but it was for charity, I then got it autographed by some of the biggest names in poker, including Doyle Brunson. Wow. So you have a Doyle Brunson signed cowboy hat that I yeah, that I that I won in a charity event thrown by Kenna James. Unbelievable. So yeah. uh, who else signed a hat? I mean, I'm sure Doyle's the headliner, but who else is on that hat? Uh, I have a few. Uh, TJ Cloutier oh, yeah, cool. is on there. Um, Helmuth is on there. Uh, Daniel Negreanu has signed it. Um. Where is downstairs somewhere? I could actually look to see who else is on there. Mike the Mouth so, signed right. it. So we started out with two Texas gambler cowboy guys. Then we just yeah, said, I just know, I headlined with Doyle. I said that's it. Okay, it's Doyle. <laughs> then we got a Canadian and a guy from Wisconsin. All right, okay. right, right, right. So uh, that's still very, very cool. Um, yeah. So was it run good? Am I allowed to say what what happened out there? What what was what was so it's cool. Part? So uh, you know, uh, Tana Karn, who uh, is the you know. The guy who started Run Good, you know, many years ago. I mean, it was a, it's, a, it's a clothing company, obviously, and I didn't even know they had a poker series. But I guess over the last few years, they developed kind of a mid lower stakes poker series, and then they also obviously have their cloth clothing as well. In fact, I'm actually wearing a Run Good sweatshirt right now. I'm not even lying. And um, so, you know, I, I'd become friends with Tana through the years and everything, and he, he asked me, he's like, hey, would you come to one of these series? And I was like, I definitely will. I'd love to come. And, you know, because I travel with work and stuff like that, it, and I have two young kids, it can be hard to get away when it's not work. But, you know, I'd promised him, and I had a kind of a lighter schedule this fall. I only had one or two trips planned. So I decided, okay, I'm going to make this work. I asked him which stop he'd want me to go to, and I guess Tulsa is their home base, the Hard Rock at Tulsa. So he got me on as kind of a guest ambassador for the for the the series, and I flew myself out there and I played some tournaments and I played a ton of cash games, and it was a really cool like six day poker trip for me. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. So I had a great time with them. Uh, what's the uh, what's the scene like at the Hard Rock in Tulsa, Oklahoma? It's a kind of a cool little, you know, it's a cool casino, actually. Uh, I had never been to Tulsa, which was another reason, you know, as, you know, we're pretty lucky in the sense that, you know, I know you travel with poker and you get to travel with comedy, you know, and, and for me, it's for poker generally, you know, we get to see a lot of the world. And sometimes, you know, we don't get to see our own country. And while I had driven through Oklahoma, I had never actually never been to Tulsa. So I was like, you know, this is a good opportunity. Let me check it out. I'm sure they have a good stake there. I'll go. And the scene was cool. Um, you know, I had one afternoon free where I didn't play, and I went and saw this. I went to the city and everything, and I rented a bike and I I rode around. Um, very cool spot. And then, uh, you know, but the poker was great. I mean, the Hard Rock's a cool little spot. They've got some good restaurants there, and the poker room was. Uh, I mean, the 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 floor men there, the guys who were running the poker room, top notch. The dealers were good. And the games were phenomenal. I was playing, for the most part, I was playing a 2-5 game with a rock. 
the rock is basically a force straddle where whoever wins the hand previous is the automatic straddle going forward. So the straddle can be in a small blind, the big blind, anywhere. So I was playing a two five ten game with that with that the rock, and the games were phenomenal. So I tried to put in you know at least ten twelve hours of poker every single day while I was there. Right. Wow. So yeah, I love that rock thing. I mean, I used to see that some some version of that with uh, limit hold'em back in the day where they would have a kill. So if you won a pot, if you won two pots in a row, then you had to put up kind of a, an extra blind or something. I don't know if I got that right, but they called it a kill. Yeah, yeah, they would make – a lot of times it would be either a kill or a half kill. So if you were playing 20-40, the game would become 40-80, or they'd do a half kill where the game would become 30-60. And if you were the one who won the last two pots, you would be – you would be your money would already be in there. Yeah, you had to post. All right, yeah. So, uh, all right, well, cool. So our listeners are interested in tournament poker, and you said they had the Run Good Poker series – out there, so and you said it was small to mid stakes. So give us an idea of what the buy-ins were like for the series so, in general. So the first tournament we played was a pro bounty tournament. So there's a bounty on my head. It was like a hundred and thirty dollar tournament. No, uh, very small, obviously. The next day we played. They had a PLO tournament. Wait, what's the bounty and a hundred and thirty dollar buy-in? What's how much do I win if I knock you out? You get a prize basically. You get an oh. envelope. And the envelope is anything from a run good T-shirt to a thousand bucks. Oh, cool! Yeah, so it's pretty significant. I mean, there was actually a lot of incentive to knock out a, considering it was going to be, you know, I think they had a three hundred dollar one, a five hundred dollar one, a thousand dollar one, you know, a hundred dollar one, and a T-shirt, a buy-in, <laughs> and a T-shirt and a sweatshirt. Yeah, everybody gets something. Yeah, but considering the buy-in is only a hundred and thirty bucks, you're talking about, you know. Some good stuff. And by the way, they run good T-shirts are nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Not they don't de- pay me for that. Not denigrating the T-shirts in any way, but I just know if my envelope uh, could have $1,000 in it and ends up being a T-shirt, I might be a little disappointed. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I mean, I just I just worked really hard to knock David Tuckman out of a poker tournament. I want more than just a T-shirt. That's all I'm saying. Not to be jealous of those who got the 1000 because we already said being jealous is a bad thing. We're not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, Ali Dejad always gets the 1000 <laughs> Always gets the thousand. It's automatic. It's in his contract, which yeah, by exactly. the way is multi-year. So he, he wasn't even there, and he got the thousand. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was one hundred and thirty. Uh, the next tournament was a two hundred. No, the next tournament was a like another small one, but with like rebuys. And the way these these, these tournaments run is, while the tournament was like one hundred and fifty bucks or whatever, it was. Like, people just keep rebuying. So it basically became like a $450 tournament. The same thing was with a PLO. There was a $230 PLO tournament, but there were $100 add-ons and rebuys. Oh, that can add up quick, yeah. Yeah, and the way they they handed out chips, it was like, okay, you get 10,000 chips for your first 230, and then 10,000 for every 100 you put on add-on or rebuy. So it was like, immediately, even if you didn't lose a pot, you would probably put at least $430 in there. And I think the average probably put in like five or six. Well, that sounds like a good time. You know, I'm really getting interested in this. Uh, there are actually a couple of pretty good places to do comedy in Oklahoma. Maybe I'll add Tulsa to my schedule next year. Uh, it sounds like you're recommending it. Uh, yeah, I know. Honestly, it's great. And like I said, the cash games are good. It's a good scene. I would definitely recommend it. And the hotel's nice. You know, they actually had live music there. Um, you know, I'm not, as you pointed out, somebody you would normally see in the Midwest, but I have, uh, I have no issue with it whatsoever and got into some great conversations. It was a lot of fun, but yeah. and also, the main event, just so you guys know a gauge of what level their main event, their main event was like 675. Oh, and that's the biggest one. Okay. All right. right. Cool. Yeah. Well, that sounds like it's <laughs> in almost everybody's bankroll. So if you're looking to take a trip, maybe you know, get a little extra prize for knocking a uh, a sponsored pro out of the out of the thing. So, who are some of the other pros that I could get a bounty for? Uh, one of your favorites, Jamie Kerstetter. She is one is of my a, favorites. That's my yeah. Girl. She's a run good follow. She she is a run good ambassador. Yeah. Um, I w- and and she goes along there. Um, the the Hinkle Boys. Right. A- including Uncle Ron. They're you all make there. The Hinkle Boys sound like 
uh, they, they should be in the wild, wild west in Oklahoma. The Hinkle Boys, they sound like, uh, like bank robbers or something. Yeah, I, I mean, they very much, they could be. <laughs> uh, in fact, I got to do the Hinkle Challenge. Okay, and how does that work? This is, uh, it was fun. So apparently, uh, you start off with 20 bucks or 25 bucks, and you have to go to roulette. Yeah, roulette, blackjack, and craps. In any, no particular order. And you got, you just got to take your 25 and then just roll it from game to game to game. And then you end up with 200 when you win all three. And if you don't get through one, you've got to do shots. Oh, uh, so it's a Hinkle challenge. It's a drinking game where if you win at each game, you end up, uh, what is that octupling you're buying? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 8xing. Yeah. So, uh, how far did you get in the challenge? We got through, uh, one. And then we got through one. That <laughs> was it. And then we lost. And I, I had to do a couple of shots. <laughs> and that was it. But then somebody else did it and got through. And I was like, really? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Uh, it was. It was disappointing. Um, I feel like I left the. I, I feel like I let let the Hinkle clan down. Yeah. Well, there's a there's an old legend of the Wild Wild West that says, "Beware the Hinkle boys." So you didn't take the uh, sage advice. I believe it was no. Wyatt Earp who warned us. <laughs> good old <laughs> Wyatt. He's good. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's uh, – I, I went from, like, oh, I'm going to go check this out and, you know, go hang out with my friend Tana, and I know Jamie's going to be there, and this will be fun, to now I will if – I, if I'm invited, I will definitely go to at least a couple of run good stops a year and kind of make them poker trips. Absolutely. And it sounds like if they have, you know, good live cash games and uh, the tournaments are fun. And I mean, obviously, you're not going to be able to like retire off of winning a $600 main event. But obviously, if if there's a lot of people buying in multiple times and and they have a good crowd to begin with, I could see it being worth the trip. Uh, you can make some money uh, between the tournaments and the cash games. Now, do you have any uh, tournament hands that stand out for you as far as the trip? There, you know, there were none. I, and then I did another tournament trip. Obviously, I just went, which was just in London, and that's actually where I wanted to. I brought the hand from. Oh, okay. So you want to talk about how okay? you played in London? Of course. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realize you were just a professional poker player going all over the world, uh, grinding tournaments. I thought the only tournament this guy plays is the main event, and maybe he went to go do that run good thing. But you played a tournament in London. Well, okay. I, I did not play the tournament in London, so I don't know the rules of your podcast. This is not a hand that I played in. It was a hand I commentated on. Definitely worth hearing a hand that you commentated on. But uh, an incredibly interesting hand. Yeah, Run Good was all playing poker in Tulsa. London was all commentary, and then uh, I did play some. I did get. I got a chance to play some cash games. But there was a a, a fantastic hand, and. Obviously, with the amount of poker that I've watched and commentated on in my life, I see many amazing hands, right? How many hands of poker do you think you've watched as a commentator? How many? 300, you... 381. <laughs> I'm going to take the over. <laughs> I'm going to take much the over. Um, uh, I mean, I have no idea. I mean, maybe just like you, you figure you sit there. Usually for eight to twelve hours. I like. Can we? Uh, this is going to depress me if we if we if we forget this number. Out. So <laughs> it's going to really depress me. <laughs> All right, I don't want to depress you. I've already depressed you enough by comparing your life with that of the great Ali Najad. So let's uh, let's just go right to the hand. And of course, it's totally fine that you didn't play the hand. But I was thinking you were going to bring a hand that you had played so that I could trash you. So now we're going to be talking about hand other people played, so it won't be as much fun. There were, I, there, listen, there were plenty of hands in Tulsa you could have trashed me on. <laughs> but you're not going to talk about it. <laughs> namely, uh, I think I even tweeted out this, and I said, okay, the, the boys in Tulsa don't fold, so let's not bluff so much. Yeah, um, good to know. And I, and I was told by many of them, they said, they've got oil money. They, don't, they want to see what you have. Oh, oh, okay, good to know. Yeah, so uh, – and then – Unfortunately, I tried a couple of bluffs. Did not work out very well. I did bubble the bounty tournament and the PLO tournament. Unfortunately, you bubbled two that tournaments. You played five tournaments and bubbled two of them. I bubbled. I, I played four tournaments and bubbled two. <laughs> so yeah, 
but I'll use the phrase that everybody else says, right? Uh, tournaments didn't work out really well, but the cash games were great. Oh, sure they were. Yeah. Yeah. No, actually, believe, <laughs> unlike most people, I actually believe you uh, because you are a cash game killer. So let's hear about this uh, hand. Now, we're talking about a man that's been commentating on poker for, I mean, how many years now? When did you for- first do poker commentary? What year uh, was it? Like 1978 or something. <laughs> no, um, I want to say the first time I was 2005. Okay, so for Janu- thir- January 2005 is was the my first my first like you know jump off the cliff into the poker commentary world. Yeah, so that's 13 years now, almost yeah. 14 years of watching poker, and this hand was something that you found remarkable. So let's yeah. hear. It. Let's it's a pretty phenomenal it, hand. So I, I will the the players um, the characters I will paint that. Okay, so uh, under the gun three we have a clearly recreational player. Some people might call him a superstar. <laughs> Others might call them something else. Yeah. Okay, but clearly a recreational player. Okay. A gold diamond platinum VIP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's the kind of guy, he's such a nice guy, you might make the game ten-handed just for him. Yeah, we got room. Come on in. Right. <laughs> um, and on his left is a player you might know is Antoine Labat. Yes, we know him. We've actually talked about a hand that he played in this year's World Series on this podcast. So, so Antoine, yeah, Antoine's uh, reputation precedes him. He's a very aggressive player. Uh, this is a guy who... You know, I think I think he finished ninth this year in the main event, right? That sounds right. Yeah, I believe so. Right. He had the, the the infamous Kings versus Kings versus Aces hand. Anyway, right. So I will set the stage. Blinds are thirty thousand, fifty thousand. Yes, correct. Thirty thousand, fifty thousand, with a big blind ante of fifty thousand. The buy-in on this tournament, by the way, was eleven hundred pounds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's a good it's a good uh, good turnout. They had well over six hundred people for this tournament. So uh, a juicy field of. Uh, Prize pool of well over $600,000. We are at the final table. Um, nine players remain. And the short stack has about 10 big blinds. And our, our, uh, our superstar is the chip leader at the table with about 70 big blinds. He has 3.5 million in chips. Okay? Antoine is middle of the pack. He has 44 big blinds at the start of this hand on 2.2 million chips. Okay? Okay. Now, our superstar had been very active up till now, and we were not sure if the everybody at the table just thought he was being crazy or if they realized that he was getting big hands because he was just getting hit with the deck. You know, he's picking up tens, queens, kings, aces, ace-king. And he was getting three bet a lot. It, it was very clear that the pros at the table were trying to ISO him. They were coming after him because he's the superstar. But right. you in the commentary booth, in the in the commentary booth, you can see that he's actually getting hit with the deck. But you're, right. you're starting to wonder if if everyone at the table has been aware of that. Yeah, and I, I try to point that out to our viewers all the time. I go, oftentimes, what we're aware of at home and in the commentary booth, the players at the table might not be aware of. So you have to keep that in mind. Right. Anyway, so uh, it folds around to our superstar, under the gun, plus three. He raises to 115,000. Again, the blinds are 30-50. And he has pocket queens. Antoine Labat on the button. Makes it three, uh, three bets it to 350k with Jack nine of diamonds. And he has how much behind? He has 44 big blinds, so he has 2.2 million. And our superstar is 3.5 million. He's the chip leader, so 70 big blinds versus 44 big blinds. Obviously, 44 effective. Three bets to 350. Folds around back over to our superstar, who decides instead of four betting, decides just to call. Okay, so he just flats the three bet from out of position with pocket queens. Right. Otherwise, I mean, if he four bets, the hand's really not that interesting. The hand's over. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, Antoine's not going to continue with Jack Nine. <laughs> right. Right. With on a forty-four big blind stack. Right. 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 So the pot is now eight hundred and thirty thousand. The flop is Ace King Deuce Rainbow. Okay. So before we get uh, to the flop, 
Can you tell me uh, your thoughts on uh, the play of both players in this hand? I want to get into this pre-flop action strategically. I know it's some interesting things about to happen uh, on later streets that you want to get to, but what do you think of Labatt's play here on the button, and how do you feel about just flatting as opposed to three-betting with queens in this spot? Uh, if you are the superstar, as you call it. Right, you mean, you mean four-betting. Um, right, I, yeah. I think Labatt's play is fine. Um, I think because of the way ICM works at the table, I think it's uh, when he – I think when he flats there, he – there there might be a squeeze that comes from the small blind to the big blinds. Uh, there's also a situation where he's going to invite other people in there, and I don't know if he wants other people in there when he's got the hand jack nine of diamonds necessarily. I think he wants to isolate the, the superstar. And I think that's fine. I, I think calling is fine. I mean, uh, folding is probably fine as well. You could probably make a case for all three. Um, but I think with his stack size, he's got I, – I, I like the – with his stack size, I think three-betting is is a really nice play because he can easily fold to a four-bet. It's not the end of the world, and he can put a lot of pressure on his opponent with that stack. Um, I, from a tournament perspective, I mean, I'm not a tournament player – but I always find, you know, sometimes those 35 to say 45 big blind stacks are kind of awkward because I, I feel like C betting and double barreling in good spots, spots that make a lot of sense in a cash game where you're really deep. Sometimes you can't do it in a, in a tournament because you're just not deep enough. Yeah. But yeah, and that's always that been you one of my do problems. When you have two or three hundred big blinds because you're playing in a cash game, uh, they just don't make sense in tournament play. Right. So that's always the issue. So I think the three bet is fine. Um, I think our superstar probably wants to four bet this this particular hand. Like, do I really want to play out of position with queens against a guy who's obviously very, very talented when I have the chip lead on him? To me, queens are certainly a good enough hand to get 44 big blinds in. If I four bet and he goes with it, okay, so be it. Tap the table. If he's got you beat, he's got you beat. But I, I just feel like, you know, there are spots where, you know, maybe flatting is correct i don't think queens are that hand yeah i agree with you uh i feel like uh well first from antoine's perspective uh the frenchman as i like to call him on this show uh when he three bets he's got a lot of good reasons for doing that some of them you pointed out uh my favorite reason for doing that is because it appears that uh the superstar has been getting out of line and i might be able to just take this down with this three bet but uh even if I don't take it down, I'm going to have the button against the worst player at the table. And, you know, of course, he probably has a better hand than Jack Nine. Wait, but did I, I say he was the worst player at the table? I don't you, remember ever saying that. You did not say that. <laughs> you did not say that at all. You actually said he was a superstar. And that Thank you, you. And that you would move over and, and make it ten-handed for him if you could. Uh, from which I somehow inferred. <laughs> that he might be the worst player at the table. <laughs> Forgive enough, me for being so presumptuous. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, in this spot, uh, you can, you know, as you said before, isolate and get heads up with him in position. Yeah, I only have jack nine, but my skill edge post-flop is going to be so significant against this player. Um, and also, uh, it, you know, like I say, he doesn't, he doesn't appear to have had uh, a lot of discipline at this final table. We're still nine-handed, so we haven't been playing for that long. And so far, this guy's been involved in so many pots. Like, again, Antoine doesn't know the guy's been getting hit with the deck. Right. So, Although, keep, but, but keep in mind, even though we're still nine-handed, we had actually been playing for about an hour, hour and 20 minutes at the final table. Oh, okay. This was so, not like 10 minutes into it. They've been playing for a while already, and we just hadn't, we haven't lost anybody. We came to the final table where the average stack was fairly deep for a final table. At this point, it had started getting, it was starting to get a little shallower. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, there's what, 130,000 uh, in the middle, and some of these guys have like 500,000. So, I mean, they're, they're talking about an M of like four, which is really, really small. Right. So, uh, but these two players actually have chips to play with, and I, I could definitely get behind the three bet. I prefer three bet in Labatt's shoes to uh, flat calling, and I also prefer it to folding. So I think I would probably three bet in this spot too, especially given the dynamics you mentioned. Uh, and yeah, I think it's absolutely mandatory that if you have this image where it looks like you've been getting out of line, 
and now you have the third nuts, just go. You know, it's 44 blinds. Go. I right. And, and by the way, even if he, you know, if you happen to walk into aces or kings and you're just unlucky there. So be it. Then so be it. But he still has to, he was still at 26 big blinds behind. Yeah. It's not like he would still be. Anyway. Yeah. He would not be out of the tournament. He would still be there. And, and I just feel like you put yourself in a really tough spot against a very dangerous player in Antoine Labat or the Frenchman, as you call it. Yeah. So flop comes out ace, king, deuce. Um, rainbow. So, and the pot is eight hundred and thirty thousand now. Our superstar now makes now makes a play that really kind of sets the hand from flatting preflop, which is already a little bit unconventional. Now he does something a little bit even more unconventional. He decides to now lead out oh, with the pocket donk, queens. The donk bet with two overs. Um, wow, that's uh okay. There's two over cards to my pair of queens. And what is his sizing? What does he bet? And by the way, and I've just been three bet. Right. He bets three hundred and sixty thousand into eight thirty, so it's not even that small a bet. You know, yeah. we're talking about uh, you know a bet of about forty percent pot. Right. It's not. It's not like a scared little blocking bet. It seems to have some weight to it. Yeah. This uh, this bet's got a little bit. Of, it's got some teeth. You know, obviously queens are kind of the one hand where you're like, wow, that's a really weird hand to actually. Um, you know, lead out with on this particular board, especially against a three better, but he decides to do this. And it was at this point that I was doing the commentary and I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, wow, okay, you know, this is, this is a tough spot because, you know, in a cash game, this is a fairly easy float. And, you know, if you're deeper in tournaments, it's a fairly easy float, I think. But, you know, Antoine only had about, at this point, like 39 big blinds behind. Yeah. And you, this, you know, the this pop, would cost him, yeah. Right. So, you know, it's one of those situations where it's like, okay, does he, you know, is he deep enough to kind of maneuver this Labat tanks and then decides to call the 360,000? Once again, I mean, the flop is ace, king, deuce, rainbow. Labat has jack nine of diamonds. Right. He has. And are there any diamonds on the flop that you there is one diamond? Okay. so he's got backdoor diamond draw and a backdoor straight draw. Right, so in other words, not a whole lot, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and especially for his stack size. But I think in Labatt's shoes, yeah, let's try to figure out what makes him call. Uh, I think that nowadays, we actually talked about this uh, on a very recent episode about how I like to donk lead with a wide range. Like I would donk lead here with two pair. Um, I, you know, I would donk lead with a lot of my hands because it really confuses my opponents. Uh, and, you know, anytime you can confuse your opponents, they're more likely to make mistakes. And at the end of the day, all your poker profits come from your opponent's mistakes. So I, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, I was actually talking a couple weeks ago with uh, one of our uh, TPE coaches, Jason Smith, who uh, he, he said he virtually never does the donk lead because it's too hard to balance your range. So I think in... in and, and he has a great point, by the way. It is hard to yeah. balance your range when you do that. You have to make sure you have enough bluffs and enough value bets to make it worth doing. And the standard play is always to check to the razor. So perhaps Labatt sniffed that out and said, if this guy had an ace or even a king, would he really just bet right out after I three bet pre-flop? And, you know, he's been studying for a while, now at least an hour. And maybe he just determined that there's a good chance the guy has nothing. And yeah. he's just hoping that I don't have an ace or a king. And I think that's clearly the case there. By the way, I thought Jason Smith was going to join us. Yeah, he was. That was when we thought we were doing this later. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We had to change then. the time, yeah. I got that's on me. Um, yeah, no, I think that's clear. And, I, and I, by the way, I actually defer to you. I like having – I do like having a lead-out range occasionally. I like mixing it up, especially against certain players where you might play – you know, you might you – might, you might dare we say be unbalanced against certain opponents because you think you can exploit them that way, and that's okay. Um, I, I especially actually like I like check call and then lead turn. Sometimes that gets people to kind of spaz out. Sometimes also, and I think it can be a very effective play. Um, where I'm not going to be, I'm, where I'm not going to have a lead out range is heads up against a three better on an ace king deuce rainbow board. <laughs> um, there's just no hands. I mean. There's literally no hand that I'm 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 leading out here because I don't have ace king. I, I you know what I mean I just I don't have two pair combinations, 
And I'm certainly not going to lead out with a set. Yeah, and I guess that's what I'm saying is I would. I might have Ace-King in my range. Really? Uh, but you, you're, you're telling me, though, when you raise with Ace-King on 70 big blinds and your opponent three bets you from the button and it's Antoine Labatt, you're just calling with Ace-King? Aren't you four betting? I'm almost always four betting. but That's I what tr- I mean. So I, I just don't think we have Ace-King in our range enough here. Yeah, I have it some, but not a lot. I have some ace-deuce suited, and I definitely would would try this play with a set of deuces because uh, I'm not blocking Antoine from having ace-king, which is definitely one of the many hands he would three-bet with. Right, and then are you are you going to also lead out occasionally with like a jack-10 where you've got a gut shot and a backdoor spade draw or backdoor right. hard draw? I would balance it with hands like that. Exactly. It's hard to balance though because you just don't have like – I mean I guess you're, you're, you said you have a stew suited. I guess there are two combinations or three combinations of that, but it, it's it's just – you know I don't feel like we have a deuce very often in a three-bet pot out of position. I feel like we're folding that a lot, but maybe I'm wrong. Um, and I feel like I'm like, well, there's only three combinations of deuces. I just feel like I don't have enough strong hands to balance it out with bluffs. You know, like I said, I mean, I, I might be more apt to lead out on a, you know, a nine, seven, six, two diamond board when I have two pair. Yeah. When it's ace, king, deuce, it is harder to have two pair that you didn't four bet pre-flop. Absolutely. Right. Point, that's right. That's what I was getting taken. At. But I think, I think that what. Antoine has correctly surmised here is that uh, Mr. Superstar isn't leading with any two pairs, and he's definitely not leading with a set. Yeah, and he's probably not leading with, like, you know, he's probably not leading with a king. You know, maybe it's a kind of a weird, scared bet, like, with ace-10 suited where he's trying to, like, find out where he's at type thing. But generally speaking, I, I agree with, I mean, watching it, I'm going, wow. The, the only question really was, is Labatt going to be able to pull the trigger here? So he floats. The pot now, by the way, um, is uh, – I just want to make sure I got this right. And the pot now is 1.5 – million. Okay? Right. And Labatt has $1.5 million behind. So his SPR, stack-to-pot ratio, is actually less than one now. After the flop action. After the flop action, after it goes bet call. So he's left it, himself a pot size bet on the turn. Right. Wow. Now on the turn comes the ten of hearts. So both players pick up a gut shot. No backdoor flush possibilities. Um, but both players have picked up a, a gut shot. Queens are still obviously very much in the lead. Now our superstar checks. Labat with 1.5 million behind decides to bet really small. He bets 360, which was the same bet that was on the flop. He bets 360 into 1.6 million. This is incredible. Uh, you know, when, before you said what Labatt was going to do, I knew that he wasn't going to put his whole stack in here because he doesn't have to. I mean, he's got to feel like his opponent doesn't have much when he when he bets that flop because he just doesn't have a lot of value hands on that flop. And when he checks the turn, that just confirms my initial read. So now why should I bet really big? A small bet will probably get the job done, is probably Labatt's, Labatt's thinking here. But I think the problem is his bet is so small that he might even get looked up by something like Pocket Queens. Right. No, although the weird thing is we block jacks when we have jack nine and dime. Right. And if I was in Labatt's, and if I'm in Labatt's shoes, I would have assumed that my opponent would uh, would have four bet jammed, or at least four bet with queens. So it's, it's really hard for me to queens. find a hand that right. he has. What the heck does this guy you know? have? Right? Yeah. You know, I mean, is he, was he just getting sticky with eights? Well, if he's got eights or something like that, and just kind of let out to see where he was at, even a small bet would probably work on the turn, right? Absolutely. So that's, that's where that, the 360 kind of comes from. Yeah. Right. And that so makes sense for his sizing. Yeah, it does. All right. <clears throat> well, it also leaves him enough, and I think a lot of players make this mistake of they size a bet. They, they kind of – they don't see the hand through before it happens, and they screw up sizing to the point where by the time the river comes out, they don't have a bullet left because you know the pot's 2.8 million, and you've got 500,000 left, and you're like, well – 
I guess I have to go all in here. But now that now you've given your opponent seven to one, you want to make sure you size your bets so you do have enough ammunition on the river to get your opponent to fold. And I think that's another reason why he bets small, thinking, okay, I can get him this, I can get him to fold his absolute nothing. And if he does call, I can set up a nice shove on the river without necessarily giving him a, a too attractive price price you know exactly. if you want to bet bigger on the turn planning to shut down on the river that's okay but yeah, yeah I, I agree thought, i actually thought that was the two things to go i would either either bet bigger on the turn with the intention of just shutting down on the river or bet small make it look like you've got a monster to then shove the river so you don't you know how would you play it if you actually had ace king you probably would like you know call bet small and then shove yeah yeah so he's he's got a, a definite the uh, hand that he can represent, he can represent Ace King this way, and he can also be pretty sure his opponent doesn't have that or better, just based on the action. Yeah. And just, you know what's been going on here. Yeah. Right. So, law, by the way, so Lawless tanks, and he calls. <laughs> he calls <laughs> with queens. Now he He's has a gut sticky. shot. Yeah. He is yeah. very sticky. He calls. The pot is now two point three million. Okay. The river is completely meaningless, and I was really happy that it was meaningless because, you know, if a jack or a queen came off, it kind of would have been a boring river. Yeah, it's no fun. Right. It was a five of diamonds, which gave n- n- didn't help either player. Lawless once again t- – I'm sorry, the, uh, the the superstar once again checks, and Antoine Labat tanks and then shoves for $1.1 million. So he shoves $1.1 million into $2.3 million. Pot's now th- – 3.4 million. So he's giving his opponent three to one to make the call. Um, Lawless tanks, tanks, and tanks before eventually the superstar mucks his two queens, and that that catapulted Antoine from fifth in chips to chip leader. Wow. So he he had a plan to try to get involved with the player that he perceived himself to have a substantial edge over, right? And then he got involved with that player. And basically, outplayed him on every street. Yeah, and it was it was very very impressive. I mean, the thing that I, I loved about it, and I'm watching this, and you know, I'm such a poker geek, and I've seen a, you know, I've seen a million hands, but I watched this one, and I just loved it. And the, th- the three reasons I loved it was, you know, obviously you pointed out already, you know, he's isoing the the, the superstar. Then on top of that, I, I love the fact that. A lot of players will have the instinct to do something, but then they look at their stack and they're like, ah, I've got 40 big blinds. This is stupid. I, I just don't have enough ammunition to get this done. And somehow he figured out a way with his stack size to make it work. And then the last part of it that I thought was so impressive was I, I mentioned to you that we were nine-handed. So we're talking about – I mean he basically committed ICM suicide in the sense that – I mean first place is 121,000 pounds, real money. Second place was like 83,000 pounds. Fourth place was like 40,000 pounds. Okay? And ninth place was about 10K. So, you know, he put himself on the line where he really could have just folded, not gotten involved, and laddered up at least five or six spots without even worrying about it. But he put his tournament life on the line right there, nine-handed. And you just don't see many players do that these days. Right. And, and But the players who do it are more likely to, to win – tournaments because they're not worried about laddering up they're taking the chances that you need to take to actually play for first and it's much easier to do when six months ago you got ninth in the main obviously <laughs> yeah yeah it's a lot easier to go you know what i don't care about this twenty-five thousand pounds. pound yeah. i just made a million yeah like the difference between winning ninth or fifth doesn't matter i'm actually here just trying to win the thing and uh you know obviously playing with that kind of abandon uh, does give you an edge over players who are looking at the scoreboard and trying to ladder up the prize pool and all of that jazz. So, yeah, I love it. And maybe he perceived um, just the weakness. I mean, he's probably going to be surprised to find out that his opponent had queens. And I don't think he was trying to bluff him off of queens. I think he put him on something much worse. Although, I mean, the way the hand played out, how could you possibly call with queens? Yeah, I mean, it's impossible to put on any hands. Uh, you know, what what hand calls the turn? I, I can't really think of one. Yeah, it was it was hard to come. I mean, I, I said no heart draw came. The, the ten of hearts in the turn did bring two hearts out there. But even then, it's just like, you know, what hand did he raise with pre? Yeah, that now has a flush draw. Yeah, it's hard. To, yeah. 
I mean, the king, the king was a non-heart, so I, but, but he's probably not leading out with a king. Just a really weird hand, um, but I thought it was just a masterfully played hand by Antoine Labat. And one of the things that I pointed out is, you know, I try not to be results-oriented. And when uh, the superstar was tanking and looked like he still might hero call him, I, I said, I said, I don't care if he makes this call or not. This is a brilliant play by Antoine Labat. Um, I love the fact that he had the instincts and also – you know, had the courage to follow through with his instincts. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's, it might be in the category of don't try this at home. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't recommend that all of our listeners go out and try this exact play tomorrow night at your local card room. But, you know, just kind of putting everything in, in perspective uh, because of what was on the line and because he had a, a real sense of where his opponent was at, he decided to go for it. And I think when I've made plays like this where I'm kind of risking possibly getting ninth when I have a stack that probably would average finish about third or fourth or even second. Uh, when I make the play, I know that I'm making a play that uh, is a good play. And if, if it doesn't work out for me, it was still a good play. I try to think about that before the guy folds or calls so that if he does end up calling, I say, all right, well, nice hand. I tried something. It didn't work. See you next time. Yeah, and then by the way, I mean, sometimes you just walk into somebody's top of their range too. I mean, if if your if our opponent had queens there, he could have just as easily had tens there. Right, and then he just binked it. Right, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, okay, well, you got unlucky, and you know, but I think you know when you start dissecting this particular hand, and you go, well, the flops ace king deuce, my opponent just let out. What's the best hand he can have here? And you start thinking of maybe like you know a crappy ace or something like that, and maybe he doesn't fold that. Um, Based on the fact that he tank he tank folded queens, who knows? But I just I know when I'm in these situations, a lot of times I I have these instincts. Like I know my opponent's weak, and I'm like, oh, I should try this. And then some of the times I just don't pull a try. I don't. I'm not. I'm too afraid to kind of follow through with it. Right. So I'm always impressed by guys who can, especially you know, not it's not that big a deal level five of a tournament. But, you know, at the final table, when you're talking about thousands of thousands and thousands of pounds at stake, that's a big deal. Yeah, it is. So uh, kudos to the Frenchman. Yes, the Frenchman. Monsieur Labat, very well played. And uh, thank you, Monsieur Tuckman, for joining us here on the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I know you're on a tight schedule and we appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, share some laughs and some learnings with us. Uh, anything you want people to know? Where can we find you? How can I stalk you on Twitter, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Tuck on Sports. Uh, I am creating sports betting content for PlaySugarHouse.com, and I just completed my Week 15 picks, and those those will be up on my Twitter account very shortly. You guys can check those out. Let me know where I've I've gotten wrong. But hey, while nobody cares about my fantasy picks. This NFL season, I am a solid like 33, 22, and 2. That is very solid. It's hard to to run that well or to pick that well in the NFL um, because the lines are so tight. Um, Yeah, that's very impressive. Talk congrats on a really good NFL (laughs) season. Uh, And nowadays, people would care about that because sports betting is, is getting much more widespread than it ever was before. And I think that's only going to continue with the Supreme Court decision. So... Yeah, that's can a I nice get, little gig for you as a football guy. Great job. Can I tease my my my, my pick of the week? Yeah, why don't you? Okay. Will this be out before the weekend? Probably not, but I can delete it if it if it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough. There you go. Uh, well, only leave it in if I win. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Patriots are sixteen and four in their last twenty games against the spread, coming off a loss. There is no certainty in sports betting. Okay. Anybody that tells you there is is lying. But I will say, the betting on the Patriots to cover the spread after they lose a game the week before is about as close to an ATM machine as you will get in sports betting. Yeah, and especially with the way they lost last week to the Miami Dolphins, I think, uh, yeah, yeah. So I just put the, and the spread. And by the way, they're the uh, they're like they're only like minus one and a half or minus two versus Pittsburgh right now. Yeah, it's a virtual pick'em. Situation. Exactly. I, I would just back up the truck. That is my game of the week. All right. Well, good luck with your game of the week and all of your other endeavors. Um, I look forward to February when we can all start stalking you 
about are you going to be doing commentary for the World Series this year? Will there be a live stream? Will it be on Twitch? Will it be <laughs> on YouTube? Where is it going to be? Uh, and you can look forward hey, to that. Can I, can I come day. back when I play a good tournament? Because I don't, I obviously, as you know, I don't play a lot of tournaments, but when I do and I get a good hand, can I come back on and talk about it? I'll go uh, one step further. You can come back anytime you want for any reason you want. You have my <laughs> unqualified uh, uh, invitation, open invitation, anytime you want to be here. We're so lucky to have you. I really appreciate you coming on the show. I got a delicious bottle of wine. I might just drink it and I, we can do it then. Yeah.